Grace and peace to you from God our Father and from the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. Word of God for our special consideration on this Pentecost Sunday is our Gospel, John 7, verses 37 to 39. On the last and most important day of the festival, Jesus stood up and called out, If anyone is thirsty, let him come to me and drink. As the scripture has said, streams of living water will flow from deep within the person who believes in me. By this he meant the Spirit, whom those who believed in him were going to receive. For the Holy Spirit had not yet come, because Jesus had not yet been glorified. This is the gospel of our Lord. Dear Spirit-filled people of Christ's church, what will satisfy your thirst? Various soft drink companies, from Coke to 7-Up to Mountain Dew, will try to convince you that only their products will do the job on a hot summer day. Most of the big beer companies will do the same, plus the various brands of iced tea and lemonade. And then there's Gatorade and its competitors, which try to convince you that they can do what no other products can do. And now there are various flavored and fizzy waters that try to combine simple with sophisticated to make you think that you should be aiming higher than mere satisfaction of your thirst. But all that marketing is focused on taste or status or an experience, not on actual need. So we need to ask another question. What exactly are you thirsty for? And when you look at it that way, there's really only one answer when we're talking about physical thirst. That answer is plain, pure water. That is what our bodies require for just about every function that our bodies perform from perspiration to digestion and from concentration to cellular regeneration. So while Coke or beer or Gatorade might taste better going down or have some other elements that seem to hit the spot after exercise or on a hot day, ultimately it is only water that will satisfy your thirst. But what about your spiritual thirst. What will satisfy that? As with physical thirst, there are all sorts of things that others suggest and that people try to meet that need. Some religions or philosophies or worldviews or activities, uh, they offer great taste, some offer status, some an amazing experience. But again, we need to ask, what exactly are you thirsty for? And there really is only one answer there, too. If physical thirst is the need for the body to replace the water it has lost, we can think of spiritual thirst as the need of the soul to replace the image of God which it lost. Because of the corruption of our hearts and minds, as sinners we do not always recognize what we need, and people try to fill that need with other things, or they just ignore it maybe, but it never goes away. 
As we are told in Ecclesiastes, God has put eternity in our hearts. So every one of us, no matter what culture or background we might come from, every one of us knows deep down that there is something more to be reached for, something beyond our immediate experience, something necessary for us to be complete. Now, some will try to slake their spiritual thirst with lives of good works, but that's like running through the desert to get a glass of water. A lot of useless, troublesome effort that in the end leaves you thirstier than before. Others will try to reason away their spiritual thirst with philosophy or pseudoscience, but that provides no actual satisfaction. Still others will just ignore their spiritual thirst, as though not thinking about it means that they have no real need, but that will be no more successful than ignoring physical thirst, which can land you in the hospital, not in early grave. Here in John 7, Jesus tells his audience, which includes us, that there is only one thing that can satisfy spiritual thirst the thing that is needed to make sinners whole again and restore the image of God that was lost when our first parents, Adam and Eve, sinned in the Garden of Eden. Jesus calls it living water, and he issues an invitation to the only source of it. If anyone is thirsty, let him come to me and drink. It is only at the cross that sinners find salvation. And thus it is only in Christ that thirsty souls find satisfaction. By nature, you are lost and dead in your sins. So am I. You probably don't have to go back more than a week to find a time when you told a lie. Maybe you considered it shading the truth at the time, but it was not the honesty that God demonstrates and demands. It was maybe even just this morning when you lost control of your emotions, even if just for an instant, in frustration or anger with a a malfunctioning appliance, a willful child, or an uncooperative spouse. You certainly have not loved the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, all your strength, and all your mind every hour of every day this weekend, let alone the last month. And you, you do not see anything more perfect and less convicting when you look in the mirror of God's law than I do. We all see sinners whether we're looking just in the last few days or for the entirety of our lives, we see sinners missing the mark of God's law, defying His demands, substituting our will for His, and continually choosing the wrong over the right, even when we know better and want to do better. God is very clear about the consequences of sin. The soul who sins will die. Those who pass from this life into the next with their guilt intact, and with no righteousness or relationship with the Lord, go to hell. 
End of story. But it doesn't have to be the end of anyone's story. Because of Jesus. God gave him to us as our Savior because God did not want anyone to end up in hell. That, that's a place of punishment for the devil and his demons. It was never intended for people. And so God's Son took on human flesh and lived and suffered and died as our substitute perfectly obeying God's law in our place since we are unable to, and willingly taking all the pain and torment of every sin for every sinner so that we would not have to to satisfy God's wrath against sin and to give His righteousness to be our own. In Christ, we are made perfect and whole again. Our relationship to our Creator is restored to the joy and glory it was at the beginning in Eden. And our hearts and minds are once again perfectly aligned with the Lord's. The image of God is given to us anew. And how does all of this become ours? We do not pay for it. We do not earn it. We do not get it just for being in the right place at the right time. No, we take hold of it and possess it by believing in Jesus. And that faith itself is a gift. It is worked within us by the Holy Spirit through the gospel in the means of grace. And so the Spirit satisfies our spiritual thirst. Streams of living water will flow from deep within the person who believes in me, Jesus said. And this is what Christ came to earth to give us. A gracious, living water that washes away sin, fills us up and restores us, gives eternal life, and transforms us into completely new and useful people in Christ. That's some satisfaction, isn't it? That's amazing water. Now let's, let's describe it with a term that, that should not be limited to comic books and action movies. The pouring out and dwelling of the Holy Spirit within us is our superpower. It not only works the most important changes there are in us personally and individually, but it also empowers us with gifts for working change in the church and, and in the world. And just as acquiring a new superpower gives a, a comic book hero his new identity, so having the Holy Spirit gives every Christian and the church along with it a new identity in Christ. We are not who we were before. Once we were sinners, now we are saints. Once we were controlled by our fleshly desires, now our new natures are in the driver's seat, leading us where we really want to go, along the path that the Lord lays out for us. And once... Once we were 
absolutely unable to live a life of true virtue, unable to do all the right things for all the right reasons, unable to call upon heaven's almighty power to help in time of need, and and unable to wield the most powerful weapon in the world, the Word of God, which strikes the heart, condemning sin with the law and comforting the repentant with the gospel. And now we are able to do all of those things. But there is one really important way in in which we are never supposed to be like Marvel or DC superheroes. Neither our identity nor our superpower were ever intended to be secret. The scene in Jerusalem on the first Pentecost makes that abundantly clear. The the amazing things that happened when the Holy Spirit came upon those first believers changed them from simple, fearful Galileans to bold proclaimers to the world of the message of Christ for all to see. Now, you and I are not hearing mighty winds or sporting tongues of fire on our heads this morning. And we probably have not been called or enabled to speak to the nations in their own native languages. That does not make our identity or our spiritual superpower private or something just to be kept to ourselves. Jesus called his people to be salt and light to the world. That means being out in the world as Christians and as his witnesses, not hidden away or hoping no one will notice what we really are. He has made us to be his servants to the church and to our neighbors, and the gifts he has given us are not to be used selfishly, but for the good of others. And that's a point that our second reading today from 1 Corinthians 12 makes clear. Each person is given a manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. Some of the spiritual gifts listed there are pretty amazing. Healing, miracles, prophecy, tongues. Yet none of them were given for spectacle, but for service. And even though we don't see those more amazing gifts today, the principle is the same with the more modest but still essential gifts every believer is given. Gifts of of teaching or encouragement, of evangelism or leadership, of, of administration or communication, whatever they might be. Our superpower master manifests itself in different ways. But every believer has it, and every disciple of Christ uses it. Jesus describes it as streams of living water that flow from deep within, which means that it is an abundant, continuing, never-ending flow from the limitless powers of the Holy Spirit. We are always eager to be filled with it, And we are always ready to overflow with it, to use our superpower in service to others and to the gospel. Much the same as what the prophet Joel described in that 
Peter quoted in his Pentecost sermon to describe what was happening at the birth of Christ's church. This is who we are. This is what the Holy Spirit has changed us into and given us to do. Every once in a while you will read an article or or see a news report, or maybe it'll be your own doctor telling you that people in our society do not drink enough water. And that's a a chronic problem with, with people being insufficiently hydrated. And that affects their energy level, their ability to concentrate, their digestion, their skin, their their vision, really just about every aspect of their health. It's kind of strange, but, but people just really don't seem to notice that they are thirsty, that they need water. And that's generally because they are drinking other things, like coffee tea or soft drinks or beer or or wine and Red Bull. The irony is that a lot of those drinks actually interfere with the body's ability to take in water and retain water, and it ends up leaving a, a net deficit. Most of us just need to drink more water. Many, if not most, Christians today have a similar problem. We do not recognize our spiritual thirst and we do not do what we should to satisfy it. Or we attempt to satisfy it with unsatisfying things. But it is only the living water that we find in Christ, the indwelling of the Holy Spirit, that will satisfy our thirst and then enable us to do all of the things that we as God's children and Christ's disciples want to do. The Apostle Paul in Ephesians 5 makes this connection when he encourages us to keep on filling up with the Holy Spirit. The imagery he uses when he says, as we'll read in a moment, be filled with the Spirit. Well, the Greek could be translated better as Be being filled with the Spirit. We should think of it not in the way that that when you fill up your car, you go to the gas station, you fill up the tank, and then you just keep going until it's empty and you need to fill it again. Instead, we should think of it more as like you would see at at a water fountain where the water just keeps coming and keeps filling and keeps filling and keeps filling and overflows and overflows. That's the imagery that we have here. And so this is how Paul encourages us to keep on filling up with the Holy Spirit. And we do that with a steady diet of the gospel for ourselves personally and also together in the life of the church. He says, Consider carefully then how you walk, not as unwise people, but as wise people. Make the most of your time, because the days are evil. For this reason, do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. And do not get drunk on wine, which causes you to lose control. Instead, be filled with the Spirit, 
by speaking to one another with psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs, singing and making music with your hearts to the Lord, by always giving thanks to everything, for everything to God the Father, in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. This, this is our satisfying superpower. This is who we are and what we do. Alleluia. Amen. Please rise. The peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Amen.